Thursday, November 9th, and this is the 1909 State News' weekly podcast featuring our reporters talking about the news. I'm your host, Alex Walters. I want to start this week's episode with a warning. We're going to be discussing the February 13th shooting. We'll mostly be focused on the university's response, the promises made and often broken, but with that policy talk, of course, there'll be discussion of the violence that campus endured. If that's not something you're comfortable with, uh, come back to this episode when you're ready or next week when we'll hopefully be talking about something else altogether. With that out of the way, I want to introduce my guests. There are two great reporters who wrote two great stories this week evaluating where MSU lived up to and where it fell short of the promises made in the wake of the shooting. Uh, So with that, you guys want to introduce yourselves? Yeah. Hello. uh, My name is Owen McCarthy. Uh, It's my first year here at the State News. I'm a general assignment reporter for the campus desk. And yeah, thanks so much for having me on today. Yeah, hi, my name is Emilio Perezzi-Barguin. I've been working on State News since the fall semester and just had been having a great time here. Thanks. Yeah, well, it's great to have you guys both on the shows. You both did some really great reporting this week that we wanted to talk about. You know, looking at, um, if you guys remember back to, well, Emilio, you know, you're a sophomore. You were here for that. Oh, and I forgot, you're a freshman. Sophomore as well. You are a sophomore. Yeah, so you guys remember that time in, you know, February, mm-hmm. March last year. MSU, it felt like every day there was a new proposal or promise for, you know, this thing happened that rocked campus, that changed so many people. Um, what are we going to do? Whether it's with security, whether it's with mental health, whether it's with sort of broader campus policy. Uh, and so a lot of promises were made. And now, you know, we're months out from the shooting, and it's like, you know, we get to take a look and say, well, which of those promises have been kept? Which of them have been modified? And you guys have both done that this week. So let's start with door locks. Mm-hmm. This was a big issue uh, after the shooting. It uh, came out fairly quickly after that Berkey Hall, one of the buildings where a lot of the violence actually occurred, did not have door locks on many of the classrooms. And that that was an issue that was raised by faculty uh, months before. There was a recording that was leaked to a publication about uh, a meeting with the Board of Trustees with faculty leaders all the way back in 2022, where a faculty leader had said, you know, there's no locks in Berkey, and the concern was sort of brushed aside. But then, of course, the night of the shooting, that um, had, I guess, fatal consequences. Uh, And so after that, MSU you know, made a lot of promises about locks, what they would look like. And so, Owen, do you want to talk me through just, you know, what did they say they were going to do? Yeah, so um, on March 1st, actually, there was an article in MSU Today, which is, you know, published by the university, uh, and it said that 1,300 classrooms would be equipped with new locks by the start of the fall semester. Um, So, yeah, that was the original promise. Mm -hmm. And they also got some recommendations from outside consultants, groups that they had hired to kind of look at the security and say, this is what you should do. You want to talk through those as well? Yeah, so there's a firm out of Ohio called um, Security Risk Management Consultants, or SRMC, um, and they were employed by MSU to basically do an after-action review of the of the shooting and the university's response to it, mm-hmm. as well as to make um, recommendations for safety going forward. And that's standard protocol um, when there's a shooting is normally, mm-hmm. you know, organizations will, will hire that audit. So um, that review, one of the key recommendations that it made um, was that the locks that were installed on classroom doors needed to be storeroom function locks, which is a type of lock where it's impossible for this door to be left in an unlocked state. So when the door closes, it's just locked automatically. But in reality, MSU has been um, installing a different type of lock that's called a thumb turn style lock. And this is a kind of lock, you've probably seen it before, where mm-hmm. It can be left unlocked or locked, and you just have to do a quick turn in order to. I see, to like lock a little it. lever you kind of exactly just like turn. And the other type, it would just always be locked no matter what. Yes, that's and correct. You would unlock it with a with a key or with. Yeah, with a key. That's correct. I see. And what about you know the number of locks? You said it was thirteen hundred that they had um, said were going to be installed. Where are we at right now? You know, about nine months out. Yeah. So again, that promise was thirteen hundred um, by the start of the fall semester. Here we are, halfway through that fall semester. 
and that number has been walked back to about 800. And mm -hmm. now they're saying um, that project is going to be done. The 800 goal is going to be done by the end of this academic year. Um, in the SRMC review, they found that it was 65 percent of the 1300. But again, that 1300 number is not um, the number they're going with. Anyway. I see. So it's not even that they're sort of partially through. It's Correct. that the kind of total goal has been reduced. That's right. I see. Well, oh, and also, you know, in your reporting, you um, there's a whole other thing that I didn't know about, um, which is these magnetic door door holders that mm -hmm. I guess the firm recommended, which, is something, which isn't something I've seen before, but you reported that MSU is maybe not taking that recommendation? Yeah, so that's correct. They're, they're not taking that recommendation. Um, but yeah, what those magnetic door holders are and what they do is in, they serve in place of just traditional like door wedges that you'll see around campus. So basically, it's just a little like hydraulic or pneumatic system um, that keeps the door propped open, but I that see. would be linked to a system um, or a feature rather called the emergency lockdown feature mm -hmm. um, where basically with a push of a button all of those magnetic door holders and this is in the event of an emergency hypothetically all of those magnetic door holders would release and then the door would close and if those doors had storeroom function locks that would mean the the magnetic door holder would release the door would close it'd be automatically locked so they could not only you know have locks on the doors but they could actually somehow remotely just close all the doors yes. on campus and lock it down Yep. But that's that's something they are doing or they aren't doing? They are not doing that. I see. And did they explain, you know, was there a rationale for why they um, won't be following that recommendation? Yeah, I mean, I was told um, I was told a couple of things. For one, I was told that the decision to not use storeroom function locks um, had a lot to do with the issue of disrupting class. So let's say there's a class in session, someone gets up to use the restroom, they come back. And if they have those storeroom function locks, mm -hmm. someone's going to have to knock on the door, the teacher's going to have to stop the class, and it's going to be a disruption. Um, so that was one of the issues that was identified by... Those are the locks that automatically lock, right? Right. I see. So every time you left, there would have to be a whole thing with getting back in, is what they're saying. Yeah. And that's, yeah. Yeah, that's one of the things they identified. Um, they also said when they first started installing locks on classrooms... Um, once they said on March 1st that they were going to do that, mm -hmm. um, I was told that they wanted to get started on that quickly. Um, and they didn't have that recommendation from SRMC at the time. So I'm told that mm. the locks they started with using is is what they're going to use to finish the project. So And, and that makes sense, too. I didn't even think of that, that you know, mm -hmm. this audit that was just released a couple of weeks ago, they didn't really have any of that information when they started installing these locks. That's correct. But there's no plan to go back and, at least at this point, change them. Nope, not at all. I see. And what about this sort of emergency, what is it, the emergency button? Emergency lockdown feature. Is that still something that they're planning, some sort of central lockdown button that MSCPD can control? Yeah, so that's going to tie into the development of the Security Operations Center that I think mm. we're going to talk about more later as well. Yes. Um, but yeah, so basically one of the things that the review recommended that there are plans in the works to do is um, they recommend a singular button that will be available to, to people at about like three remote locations, including um, the Security Operations Center, where when you press that button, all campus buildings um, are automatically locked in one instant. Um, and if- Like the outside of campus buildings? Yes, oh. the outside. And the review says that that feature should have been locked to the magnetic door holders, but they're mm. not doing the magnetic door holders. So instead, this emergency lockdown feature that um, will definitely be 100% in place once they upgrade to this new software um, that's called Genetech Synergist. Yeah. Um, once they upgrade to that, they'll have that emergency lockdown feature so that with the press of a button, 
all exterior buildings can be locked in one instant. And what if you're outside? Yeah, so, you know, that's a valid question to raise. Um, that's obviously people wouldn't be able to get into buildings um, if that happened. But that is just something that, you know, they, they told me that they've spoken to experts on this. And as far as safety, um, the, the safest thing to do is to have that emergency lockdown feature ready in the yeah. event of an emergency. Well, speaking of, you know, being ready for these emergencies, Emilio, you did some reporting on active violence training at MSU, which is something that, you know, in my understanding, my time last year as a student here, uh, was not something we really did, something we really thought about much before the shooting, but afterwards there were some promises made about, you know, ways that we could kind of train and feel ready for these emergency events. Do you want to first talk through, you know, what was said after the shooting about what would be done? Yeah, again, in, you know, in the wake of February 13th, in that same March 1st uh, newsletter sent out to the campus, mm-hmm. university leadership said that active violent intruder training, you know, usually shortened to AVI training, would become mandatory for all students, staff, and faculty on campus. Mm-hmm. And before then, uh, this type of training was actually offered by MSUPD beforehand. Uh, however, it was entirely optional. Uh, I believe uh, certain staff, including dining hall staff, were required to do the training. But apart from that, it was largely um, not mandatory. I see. And so is that that mandatory training, is that something that's happening now that's been acted on? Well, they promised it, right? And then halfway through the uh, fall semester, people began to realize that, you know, this training is nowhere to be seen. Yeah. And so then, you know, halfway through the semester, people begin to realize that this training has simply not been made available. Um, and so the university, I, I speak with the university, Dana White at MSUPD and Dan mm-hmm. Olson, um, deputy spokesperson, and they say, you know, they reevaluated the decision, took some input from the community and decided to make that training optional. I see. And wh- why was that? What was the input? You know, they said that pretty vaguely, they just said, you know, we received input from the community. Although it, it can be understood to be largely that people were concerned that that kind of training, some people just weren't emotionally ready for it. I see. So going through that training, which presumably would be, you know, kind of specific what to do if something like this happened again, they felt like that wasn't something they could force people to do right now? Yeah. Right now, it seems like the university wants people to do the training when they feel emotionally ready for it. I see. But people can, if they'd like to, I mean, how can they access this training? Is it something you go to? Is it online? It has yet to be completed. Oh, okay. um, so my understanding is that they are working on an online course sort of thing that will be communicated later in the semester. Mm-hmm. Um, but as of right now, they're still working on it. I see. But there will be a way people will know if they want to opt into this, they can. Yeah. And did they say, you know, because obviously right now we're uh, you know, less than a year away from the shooting. You know, that's understandable. The community members don't want to be forced to do this. Is that something that they feel is the permanent stance of the university? Is there room for that to change in the future? Or did they talk through that at all? Uh, yeah, I mean, I got a statement out of Dan Olson, which, you know, his wording implied that the university views this sort of training as necessary. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, right now, they're making it optional. But he did leave some space open. He said, quote, while we're not focused on punitive measures for compliance, we are still, or we will reevaluate our effectiveness and student employee completion in a year to determine if we need to take additional action to ensure our Spartan communities, yada, yada, yada. Yeah. So there's room to, you know, didn't specify much, but maybe some things will change as to how optional the training is. Mm-hmm. As time goes on. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you guys have done great work this week looking at what's, you know, already been done. And I sure, I'm sure you guys will stick with it as things develop further. Um, and then I want to talk a little bit about, you know, some work that I had done about what we kind of feel is the next phase of this, which is what, Owen, you kind of alluded to it earlier, the Security Operations Center, mm-hmm. which is the idea that, you know, MSUPD previously operated, you know, like a police department. They got calls. They responded to them. Um, but now they want to have this centralized center that monitors campus through this AI camera system and will um, 
I mean, centralize the policing so that everything goes through, uh, they call it like the brain of MSUPD. There's going to be these people who they've hired, they call them cadets, who will sit in the center and watch the computers, and then they'll dispatch officers to various things. Um, and that seems to be kind of the final form of this security response. And like you said, Owen, it's still, we don't know exactly mm-hmm. what the technology is yet. We're actually waiting on those documents from MSU. Mm-hmm. We don't know exactly you know, how they'll be using it, if they have guidelines around it. Um, but I had an interesting conversation with a professor at American University who studies, he wrote a book called Big Data, Big Data Policing, mm-hmm. um, you know, all about um, this sort of shift with a lot of police departments, less at universities he studied, but more so in large cities, with a shift to this sort of AI data-driven policing, which is very different. And what he said is that, you know, it kind of changes. Crime has always been sort of socially enforced with people, you know, you call the police when you see something that you think they should do something about, whereas this AI camera, AI-based campus-wide camera system uh, sort of lets the police choose which crimes they will be and won't be enforcing, and of course the AI is choosing what it's showing to them. And so there's a lot of complications there. I'm excited that you know uh, you guys and me we're going to keep reporting on this as it grows. But that's where I feel like the next frontier of this is. So that's something to to look out for. Yeah. Um, but yeah, but thank you guys so much for coming on. That's all for this week. We'll be back next Thursday with more. Uh, until then, the stories we discussed and plenty more are available at statenews.com. Uh, Thank you to our incredible podcast director, Anthony Brinson, my guests, Owen and Emilio, and most of all, thank you for listening. Uh, For the 1909, I'm Alex Walters.